Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Good morning, I'm Michelle Martin. Joining me today is Swapnil Mishra. Our theme for today is safety. We're going to look at the treasury bond market. Is it the biggest treasury bond bear market ever? That's according to Bank of America. What does Swapnil Mishra think? We'll turn our attention to market reactions in light of the recent war in Gaza. Global financial markets already rattled by elevated interest rates uh, now face a fresh dose of geopolitical uncertainty following conflict, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So how have market watchers been reacting? And where are they seeking safe haven assets? We break it all down with Swapnil Mishra, founder of Wealth Zen and adjunct mentor at Singapore Management University and author of many, many great books for young people. Good morning, Swapnil. How are you? How are you? All right. So, Apnil, let's start with U.S. Treasuries and bonds. Uh, despite the ongoing war in the Middle East, the mood in the market seems positive. What are bond yields doing? What is the what is driving movement in the U.S. Treasury and bond market? I think the uncertainty of interest rate uh, and especially Fed action in the next uh, two meetings, I think that is causing uh, anxiety in the uh, in the Treasury and the uh, fixed income or bond markets. I mean, as an example, if you see today's uh, Bloomberg headline is a coin flip. So the odds of a rate cut or a freeze, a hold on the rate is or rate hike is 50-50. So in other words, the there is a very high degree of uncertainty of what will happen uh, to the interest rate. Will it be increased or will there be a continued pause or will the geopolitical impact of the war uh, trigger, in fact, um, you know, accelerating the uh, you know the decision of maybe even cutting rates if if there is a kind of a spillover from the uh, from the Middle East. Um, where are you seeing the greatest effects in the bond market? Is it long dated bonds? So if you see right now, what has happened is a few months back, we had the yield curve inversion. And there was a whole discussion around yield curve inversion typically leads to a recession. And then promptly it kind of flipped. It didn't happen. It flipped back and everything kind of started looking pretty rosy. And uh, there was again a concern that we may have a rate hike again. Now, if you see the signals that the Fed uh, governors are giving, it's it's mixed. Uh, Everyone is preferring to just pause uh, and the big concern is that the steepener what we are seeing right now which is the long end of the yield curve has gone up again short end is down now so the steepening is it a bear steepening or a bull steepening so is this steepening an indication of an upcoming bear market or a recession or a slowdown or is it an indicator of a bull market? And I think that, uh, given the sheer complexity of the fixed income market, which you know intuitively looks very simple, that you know yield goes up and prices come down, but in reality the factors affecting are far more uh, complex. And um, and this uncertainty is is what is uh, kind of causing a sense of nervousness in the in the fixed income markets. Maybe we can ground it with a realistic sort of um, example. So if you look at the iShares 20 plus year treasury bond, for example, the TLT ETF, that's uh, one of the first things people consider when they look at it is whether interest rates are likely to go up or down in the future. 
right? Because the relationship between treasury bond yields and interest rates is the key to this particular bond's performance. So is this TLT ETF a good bet for the long run? It's definitely something which if you see as the yield, even if the inversion, even if the the, the bond yields have gone up significantly and they are almost at a 16-year high, right? They are kind of on the about cross five or at least uh, that's the fear. It's a matter of time. So like for example, this year TLT itself is down more than 10%. I think it's close to uh, 13, 14 percent it's down so of course it will come back because we will see at some point interest rate you know going back down or cutting mm-hmm. but it's a matter of how long will it take mm-hmm. so if you are entering into something like this you have to be ready because if you had entered even three months back and thought that okay it's going to turn around it didn't it actually came down further if you have a holding capacity then yes this is something which is from a quality point of view at least it is you know you're not taking any kind of counterparty risk right you're not investing into an emerging market bond where there is a real risk of the company failing so as a counterparty, it is a safe, uh, definitely a safe bet. But in terms of how long it takes for it to play out, it can be longer than uh, what you may assume when you go into a position like this. Okay, more questions from investors. The, the market for U.S. Treasuries have almost shed a quarter of its value since Treasury yields bottomed out in the summer of 2020. That's the biggest percentage decline in U.S. Yeah. bond market history, and it's already six percentage points greater than the next biggest route. What messages should we read from the present situation, and what does a bear bond market mean for equities? So over here, I think, okay, so uh, one aspect with reference to the bond market is going to be this level of interest rate or you know uh, especially for the long end are not only hurting uh, retail investors they are also hurting corporates because all the corporates who had borrowed at really low rates the covid era time are now going to come up for the rollover and that's one big hurdle that they have to cross because the rollover or the renewal of those loans will happen at significantly higher rates today the second i think the factor which is going to influence this decision is going to be the pain this interest is causing to the government debt so if you look at the impact of this interest rate on us its own borrowing it is going to be significant and it is it is going to affect actually their own deficit and their own spending so high interest rate is something which i don't think it's a matter of you know it's not it's not being done with the view of it's it's more out of no choice because they cannot afford to have inflation go high so if you bring it back to the equity market mm-hmm. i think if equity market corrects because of even a little bit of a slowdown and we see some earnings results which are weaker than expected and equity market comes down, that actually will be a good sign for the bond market because that will indicate that the pressure of inflation is less and so the confidence in the in, in the bond market will come back if there is some correction in the equity market. Thanks for elucidating the link between the both. Uh, to what extent do you see an increase in bond supplies dampening demand for treasuries? See there right now we saw that a few months back Fed was again had to balance the quantitative tightening that they started last year with providing short-term liquidity and support. Right? Because they also don't want an SVB kind of a situation coming up again. This kind of a increase in the yield is putting a pressure in the bank's balance sheet. And if tomorrow there is a, even a you know even a, a fear that there is a liquidity crunch, uh, they are providing they're kind of reversing their quantitative tightening by giving short-term lending uh, and coming in as a supplier. So I would say in terms of the supply from the Fed's point of view. They are going to play this role in a more tactical manner of stepping in wherever that is needed. Broadly, they will continue to keep the quantitative uh, tightening, which means we will see that whatever bonds are maturing, they will not come back into the market because they do want to take some liquidity out of the market as much as they can without really you know, upsetting the equilibrium in the banks.
All right, let's turn the page and let's continue on the theme of investor education on this show. Swapnil, you wanted to talk about why not all structured products are the same. So a little bit of a primer maybe for our listeners. Structured products are financial instruments and their asset allocations can include both volatile and secure investments. How do you define structured products first up and why did you want to talk about why they may not be all the same and why we should pay attention to it? Yeah. Actually, specifically in a high interest rate environment. So I guess first I'll answer the question. Structured products effectively are products which are made up of uh, uh, cash which you invest in the particular note or product which ha- which has an underlying derivative or an underlying uh, options or a derivative contract from which you are going to make more money than just what you would make in a fixed deposit. It's a cash plus options contract is a derivative structured product. Uh, in today's uh, environment where interest rates are high, what we have to remember when we look at a structured product is the opportunity cost. So as a specific example, if somebody comes up with a two-year structured product, which is principal guaranteed, principal protected, which means your worst case scenario is two years later, you get back your principal. And there is a potential for making, let's say, 5% more or 10% more. In your calculations, one has to remember that in two years, if you had just kept it in a fixed deposit, you would still be making 10% return. So the thing is, when the, when the interest rates are high, these structured products become more attractive because there is that 10% extra available to play with. And so one has to be careful in evaluating evaluating, not comparing it to I get my principal back, but rather comparing it to if I had kept it in a fixed deposit, I was going to get 10%. If I do this product, how much more am I going to make? And if it is meaningfully more than what I would make without taking risk. So that's, I would say, in the current context, this is very important because uh, there'll be a spate of structured products that will start uh, coming around as interest rates remain high. What do listeners need to understand about evaluating structured products? Is the scenarios. So just uh, best case scenario, worst case scenario and compare that scenario to a risk-free scenario for yourself. And a risk-free scenario here is just putting it in a simple fixed deposit or you know, buying really a low-risk uh, instrument, which will give you at least 5 to 6%. So whatever scenario you're looking at in the structured product, the best case and the worst case, mm-hmm. should be meaningfully higher than your 5%. Otherwise, you're actually not really going to make much and the person who's making the structured product is probably going to end up benefiting from that. So historically, one of the most popular uh, FX structured products had been something called the dual currency note, uh, DCNs, dual currency deposits, short dated uh, structures. Uh, They have like a deposit currency, an alternative currency that stands in relation to it, and then a conversion rate between the two currencies. Um, Given today's FX market, what do you think of such structured products? So these structured products appear like deposits and notes or uh, I think they they stopped calling it uh, dual currency deposits. I think the regulators said don't call it deposit because it is not, in a way, if you get converted into the other currency, then you will suffer a capital loss. You will will come out with less than what you started with. So uh, one is it looks like a note, but actually it is a foreign exchange FX product. Right. So I think that's important to understand. And the second is, again, to eliminate the risk-free deposit rate. So I'll use an example. If you do a US dollar versus any currency, let's say Australian dollar, and in US dollar, you have said that, oh, in this dual currency note, you will make 8% return. So 8% in absolute number looks quite exciting for taking the risk of converting into Australian dollar. But now if you look at the rate which you're going to make any which way is 5%. So your fixed deposit rate is 5%. So now you're making 3% more. So when you're evaluating a product, 8%, which means 
means 3% incremental gains for taking an Australian dollar risk, it's not as attractive. Eight as an absolute number looks attractive. So we have to remember that we are now in an interest rate environment where eight is not very attractive. Two years back, eight would have been a very attractive number in an absolute sense. Swapnil Mishra is my guest today. He's founder of WealthZen, adjunct mentor at Singapore Management University. And you can find his books in bookstores here, all good bookstores here. Uh, he writes primarily for children, but your latest book is meant for everybody. It's for investors. Remind me of the title again, Swapnil. <laughs> Investing for the clueless, reckless, and overly cautious. <laughs> <laughs> That's everybody. Okay, speaking of everybody, who should put their money in structured products, do you think? <laughs> I think a small amount, if there is a very compelling argument in terms of uh, returns, uh, that's one. Second is if you want to be slightly defensive in the equity markets, um, which means you are not comfortable taking uh, direct exposure to equity, so you can take a defensive exposure. Otherwise, I would say really cash, is a great place to be today. You know, it's, it's it's almost like saying, which health drink should you have? And the answer is water. <laughs> <laughs> you see, this is proof that this is a really, really objective show. Nobody in the finance world is going to tell you cash is a good idea these days. I remember mentioning that at a dinner party I was at recently and I got, you know, heckled and laughed at. I'm glad that you're, you know, you're putting it out there, saying what needs to be said. Swapnil, let's turn our attention to the Middle East conflict and safe haven assets. So traditionally, I think people flock to the Japanese yen, but we've seen the yen weaken. Uh, what do you think investors can consider as safe haven assets in this day and age? I mean, certainly, I think it's uh, just a moment to, uh, to acknowledge that it is, we are all lucky to be thinking about safety in the context of our money because there's a you know, segment of people in the in Middle East who are, you know, struggling to stay safe in their homes and uh, are not even able to consider. So I think it's a it's a good starting problem to have that you have cash and you're thinking about safety. Uh, in terms of the specifics, um, the alternatives that are available today, definitely quality is one way to approach safety. So not necessarily thinking about it as an asset class, but rather thinking about quality. So if you're in equity, you go for better quality. You don't look at your mid caps and small caps where the risk is higher, both from a business growth point of view and a profitability point of view. Uh, if you're in fixed income, again, you go towards quality and say, okay, instead of taking uh, an emerging market bond risk, why not increase the quality and maybe give up a little bit on the returns by going towards uh, a better quality. So quality is one kind of axis through which you can draw a line across your portfolio and move everything above that line. The second kind of framework that you can use is uh, diversification. And I know in the context of diversification, exotic asset classes do sound attractive to say, hey, you know, what about gold? What about Bitcoin? What about commodities? They are tempting. I, the bulk of the problem still is between keeping money in income-bearing instruments and in equity, which is your growth instruments. These other exotic instruments are not a perfect safe haven. And so I wouldn't say more than 10 to 20% of the portfolio can be allocated to um, things like gold. So you don't so, think rising geopolitical risks uh, would see a, a sane move towards gold and the dollar and U.S. Treasuries? No. So actually, you know, if you if there's a lot of research that has been done on the correlation between gold and and yes, anecdotally, inflation is correlated with gold in terms of there is inflation concern, then gold prices go up. But the actual report card, if you see from the from in terms of the past track record, it is inconsistent. So it's not that a clear correlation that when there is an inflation risk or when there is a geopolitical risk, mm. gold must go up. There are also cases where actually gold goes down and US dollar goes up. Mm. So, you know, we've seen that. And, and given the high interest rate, mm-hmm. uh, gold is not a no-brainer right now. And, and I would say the, the third factor behind gold is that 
people still have faith in the financial system at this point of time which means even you know if the real interest rate falls or people lose confidence then we will see a major surge in the in gold i don't think we are there yet and that is why i am not particularly bullish on gold at least based on the facts today now tomorrow if five more countries join this war and we're talking about world war 3 then of course then there is complete loss of confidence and uh, gold may kind of stage a comeback i would not put a large amount in gold just because of the geopolitical I have a friend who used to say gold is heavy, it's safe, it's reassuring. I should check in with him about what he thinks about gold as the only safe haven asset in his book. Uh there was a time when people said Bitcoin was a safe haven asset, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. It's true. I mean, I, I must say it has held last few months. <laughs> I think the fact that it has held is 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 good performance where you're seeing uh you know rest of the stuff falling uh, quite significantly. I mean, look at real estate, commercial real estate. It's a matter of I would say in the next 6 months it will become an attractive buying opportunity. It's almost down to the covid levels now, right? If you look at some of the REITs here. So I I would put real estate above gold when it comes to safe, heavy and you can touch and feel and look at the asset. <laughs> <laughs> Super interesting. Um what do you see investors moving towards? They're definitely cash, your uh, treasury bills. So in US I think somebody has come out that how retail investors are flocking towards T bills. You're going to see that in Singapore hopefully with uh, SG bonds and SG uh, papers. So people are going to start becoming aware that hey you know I can invest my money over here and make 3.5% plus platforms digital platforms have started offering people will start understanding that you can make more money just by buying government bonds or government securities or T bills treasury bills and and earn a decent return on that. So the the awareness of treasury bills within retail investors is increasing uh, as the interest rates have remained high. So we will see a little bit of shift happening towards uh, these kind of um, uh, papers as well. All right. And Go we're seeing that even on on digital platforms we are seeing now. So today you can actually there are platforms that are offering fixed deposits on Singapore dollars and you can make 3 3.5 3.7 4% return. So that's pretty decent. Um, you know, CPF gives hopes and so on. 3.5 in a risk free fixed deposit is uh, is a pretty uh, decent return. I'm going to put you on the spot now, Sapnil. One wealth tip for us before you leave for today. Wealth tip is I would say convert that look at cash as a wealth creation or wealth generation tool. And what it means is hmm. understand that cash is something which nobody is going to recommend because cash doesn't have commissions because cash is effectively just cash. So and the, uh, the other reason why cash plays an important role is as the opportunity emerges mm. right so let's say you see another 10% correction in the commercial let's say rates in Singapore then you can start deploying so if you have cash you are in a position of control of deploying rather than sitting and Uh, looking at a portfolio which is fully invested kind of wondering what to do with the the portfolio so in a heightened volatility mm-hmm. the one important asset class is beautifully said gold is an not a no brainer and in, in an environment of heightened volatility hold on to your cash love it swapnil thank you so much for joining us this morning thank you thank you as always <laughs> Sapnil Mishra, founder of Wealthzen and adjunct mentor at Singapore Management University. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O. Audio at the App Store and Google Play.